This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. It's actually my last talk that I'll be giving this summer. No! And, um, <laughs> nice Trinity. <laughs> um, I realize there's like some things you might not know about me that I just really want to make sure you know about me before I go home for the summer. So, my favorite filter on Snapchat is the potato filter. <laughs> I just thought I should share this with you. I was scrolling through my phone and I was like, gosh, what phones do I have besides me and Alexis? And uh, we'll see if it works. <laughs> but I just highly encourage all of you to download the potato filter. It's, it'll change your life. <laughs> there was a time in our dating relationship that Alexis and I it communicated exclusively through the potato filter. <laughs> we still refer to it as the golden ages of our relationship. So, <laughs> And then another thing you might not know about me is that I've hated dogs all my life. Didn't grow up with one, really didn't like them. But then my family got a French bulldog named Mabel, and I was obsessed. Um, but sometimes she looks really creepy. Bulldogs walk this fine line of being cute and super <laughs> ugly. So I think that video is hilarious. My mom sent our family group chat this video. They took her swimming for the first time, and they got her this life vest that has a shark fin on it. So if you want to see that video, come up to me afterwards. And uh, maybe we'll show it at the end of the workshop or something as like a reward for me. Um, okay, but today uh, we're continuing on um, the spiritual practices, and today it's going to get super, super practical. So if you've kind of been feeling like this all feels like kind of vague and kind of out there, this talk hopefully uh, is for you. So I'm going to pray, and then you will let um, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for you this morning. God, um, also thank you so much that uh, Nick is back with us. Um, thank you that... Uh, he was able to get treated so quickly. Um, I know there were a lot of um, prayers lifted up for him last night, and so thank you for hearing this. Um, thank you for answering this. Um, God, I pray that you continue to be with him as his anchor heals. Um, and God, be with us now as we start this talk. I know that Friday mornings can be a hard time to pay attention, especially after an epic vote social. So, yeah, God, would your spirit be here? Would you be with me? Help me to speak. Really help me to speak truly, I think, to what you want us to hear and know about rest. And God, would all of us leave this room feeling more convinced that rest is necessary and, and even to have a very clear idea of what that means and how to do it. So I ask these things in the Okay, so I want to start with a story. So settle in, maybe don't close your eyes just in case you're sleepy, but um, I want to start with a story. So my alarm goes off and wakes me up from a deep sleep. Without thinking, I snooze it once and then twice. My goal to give myself more time this morning quickly fades as getting the most sleep becomes the most important thing. The third time my alarm goes off, I finally open my eyes enough to check my phone. It's filled with notifications, texts, Snapchats, group meets, Instagram links. I read the text, check my email, open Snapchats, and then scroll through Instagram, catching up on all I missed. Once I reach the point that I saw last night, I roll out of bed, suddenly realizing that it's been almost 45 minutes since my alarm went I quickly throw on clothes, wash my face, gulp down coffee, grab a granola bar, maybe scan the daily verse on a Bible app, and then rush to begin my day. 
As I go, the content of the emails, texts, Snapchats, Instagram posts start to catch up with me and I start to feel this overt anxiety over all the things I need to get done today. I finally need to text back that one person. What did that line in that email mean? A friend suddenly texts me asking to grab coffee, so my mind is racing, trying to figure out how I can move around my day to make it work. By the time I get to campus, I realize I didn't even notice my drive because my mind is playing catch up. I absentmindedly go through my day, half exhausted, half distracted. Whenever I get a free five minutes in the bathroom or in between meetings, I pull out my phone to check it and scroll more. The break is over before I know it, and it's back to whatever I was doing. That evening, I get home, weirdly just as exhausted as I was when I woke up that morning. I made it work to get coffee with my friend, which means I haven't had a moment to myself. I eat dinner while watching Netflix, and then realize I have nothing to do for the rest of the day. I momentarily panic, then pull out my phone and text five different friends. 30 minutes later, I'm back in my car on my way to a movie. When it's over, someone suggests getting ice cream, and even though it's already later that I really want to be up, I don't want to miss out, so I go. The whole time I'm there, I'm just thinking of how much I would rather be in bed. When I finally get home, I crash into bed, fall asleep, only after scrolling my phone for another 30 minutes. The next morning, my alarm wakes me up from a deep sleep, and it happens all over. Okay, so obviously the story is like a little bit, you know, like extreme, but I'm wondering if any of this sounds familiar to you. Um, I think that we are living in a world where we are exhausted, but we're also busy. We're disconnected from our own feelings. We don't know how to be present with the people and things around us. Um, anxiety and depression are at an all-time high for our generation. And um, I have a quote, I don't know if you guys have it up there. This is from a pastor, he says, and this is actually from a book he wrote on Sabbath, and he says, we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. And I just wonder, like, with that story I read, with this quote, how much that relates to you. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, read for the top of my notes, so give him a hand, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. Couldn't get the printer to work this morning. Um, so I think all of us, we long for rest. If I were to ask everyone in this room, do you think you need more rest? What would you guys say? Yeah, yeah, that's like a pretty universal acknowledgement, especially on project. We all need more rest. Um, but we, it's not just a physical rest we need. I think we long for an emotional rest, a mental rest, a spiritual rest, a physical rest. Like, we want this holistic sense of rest. But the harder that we try to find it, the more elusive it seems. And if you remember back to Taylor's talk, we have three enemies of our soul. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I think that these three enemies of our souls have have convinced us of this lie. Like, I don't even think that they have to try that hard anymore. I think that they have, in some ways, won the battle in our culture to try to convince us that we will find rest if we buy more, do more, experience more, have more friends, find a fulfilling relationship, fill in the blank. If you get this thing, then you will find rest. Um, and I want to show you a... So I actually cried the first time I saw that commercial. <laughs> um, uh, because I think it's so beautiful. And why it's beautiful is because I, I think that it is tapping into a <coughs> desire for rest. All of those images are these beautiful, just super aesthetically pleasing images of rest, right? It's like, oh, if you want to take that side down, I'll put it on my But, um... These beautiful images of rest, it's like the walk through the woods, the canoe in the lake, the kitchen with like the steaming coffee pot. Um, 
And that's something that we all long for. Like, who doesn't want to be part of at least one of those scenes that you saw in the ad? But the lie that that ad is telling you is that you will find that rest by booking a vacation rental property through Verbo, right? <laughs> um, but all of us can attest that that doesn't work. You might momentarily find rest in a beautiful vacation, but then it rains or your family gets in an argument, or someone gets super sunburnt, or there's really bad traffic, or someone gets food poisoning, and the rest disappears, it vanishes. But what if finding that type of rest was available to all of us, right here, right now, on this Friday morning, sitting in this youth room? What if rest, we didn't have to buy anything, we didn't have to go anywhere, what if it was as simple as just stopping? So, um, I really love this verse. This has kind of been like the thesis verse for Taylor and me as we've been thinking through this uh, training packet. Um, sorry, George, I'm to juggle all this. But this is Matthew 11:28, and Jesus says this. This is his promise. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think for a long time I read that verse and thought like, oh, that's cool, like, Jesus will just give me this kind of, like, spiritual rest that will, like, transcend the physical world and kind of, like, lift me up out of it. But I think some really good news is that Jesus has some really practical things for us and what it means to be at rest. So I think that there is a practice that as followers of Jesus, we can learn that if we practice it, if we commit to doing it, we actually will find more rest for our souls. And I think that that practice is Sabbath. So the outline of where we're gonna be going today is I just wanna talk about what is Sabbath, because if you're like me, that's a pretty unfamiliar concept. Then we're gonna talk about why we should practice it. Like, is this actually a biblical concept? And then the last point is how do we practice it? And we're gonna spend our whole workshop kind of coming up with and planning what it would look like for you to Sabbath. So the first point under what is Sabbath um, for me, this was an unfamiliar concept, so I'm guessing that for a lot of you guys in the room, you've maybe heard of it, but don't know exactly what it is. Basically, historically, what it has meant is that the people of God, and for a long time, it has been strictly Jews, took a day off. So they worked for six days, but on the seventh day, they stopped working, and from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, so for a full 24 hours, they stopped all activities, so that means travel, cooking, plowing, anything like that, and they rested. So it's kind of a weird concept, um, especially I think in our culture. Where did this come from? Was Sabbath something that the Jews created? Is it something that kind of like was developed over the course of time? Actually, the first place that you see Sabbath is all the way back in creation. So if you look at Genesis 2, 1 through 3, this is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the word Sabbath actually comes from the Hebrew word that's used to describe God's rest. That's why I bolded it. And the word is Shabbat, and it's a verb that literally means to stop. So in its simplest form, all that Sabbath means is that you stop. So what we see in creation is that for six days, God has been creating the world and then filling it. But on the seventh day, he stops and he enjoys it. 
And something that I think is really, really interesting is that this happens pre-fall. Like this was not um, a response to like the brokenness of the world. This wasn't a response to the evil in the world. This was a response to a good creation. So I don't think that Sabbath came as the result of sin. I think Sabbath exists in an ideal world. So in this perfect world, God works for six days and then rests. But why does he rest? Did God get tired? Was it like draining on him to be creating the whole universe? I don't think so because we see really clearly in other scriptures that it says very explicitly that God does not grow weary, he does not grow tired, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber. So why would God need to take a day of rest? I think that God took a day of rest because he's giving it as an example to us to follow. God set up creation to have a very, very specific rhythm. Work six days, rest for one. And I think that God has created us to function best when we're following the same rhythm. And that's kind of been Taylor and my goal in all of these spiritual practices, is not to say, like, you should do these things just because God told you to do so. We really want you to see that these things will be good for you to practice, that you will actually thrive, you will flourish. Your soul was created to live as God has intended. And I think that that's the case with Sabbath. I think that God set up the world to run best in this rhythm. But don't take my word for it. I want you to actually see this in scripture. So now we're moving into our second point, which is why do we practice Sabbath? Sure, God did it, but why does that mean that you and I should do it? So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the storyline of the Old Testament, God calls the people of Israel to be set apart for himself and him alone. And he gives them the Decalogue, or the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments were supposed to guide how Israel lived. And these Ten Commandments were pretty radical. They were supposed to set apart the people of Israel from all of the other nations around them. And we're pretty familiar with some of the commandments. Some of them are more intuitive, like don't murder. Like that's a pretty obvious commandment to keep. But actually, uh, God commands his people to keep the Sabbath in the Ten Commandments, which is super, super interesting. So this is from Exodus 20, and this is the command to Sabbath. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God himself, this is the only commandment that God gives a why to why he wants his people to obey it. And the reason that he gives is because he did it. So I think that, that we can make that connection that because God himself rested on the Sabbath, we are called to as well. So the commandment to keep the Sabbath day, you do that by not working. Or to say it positively, you rest, which Sounds pretty nice, right? <laughs> um, but God also mentioned something about keeping that day holy, uh, to keep it set apart for the Lord, which I think another way you could think of it is that the day is not only for you to rest, but it's also for you to worship. So I want to explore a little bit these concepts of rest and worship because I don't know that we totally understand how to do either one of those in our culture. So when I say rest, how do you find rest? I wonder what things come to mind to you. Like if you get a couple free hours, how are you gonna spend those free hours? 
I think that some of us would maybe think of mindlessly binging Netflix or scrolling through Instagram or playing a ton of video games. But I don't think that those things are rest. I don't think that just if something makes you relax, I don't think relaxation and rest are the same thing. And in this commandment specifically, we see that rest is always tied to worship. And again, I don't think that when this says worship, it means you are in church all day, you're constantly listening to like elevation worship and Bethel music. Um, because if you look at what God did on his Sabbath day, he enjoyed what he had made. And I think that that is at the heart of the kind of rest that we're called into. So the kind of rest that God is commanding is a rest that causes your soul to delight in him more. So I was kind of thinking through, like, what are the things that when I do them, I really feel like my soul loves God more? Um, and the first thing I thought of was drinking an incredible cup of coffee. <laughs> For any of you guys in the room who just love a good cup of coffee, there's something about drinking it and just enjoying it that really does cause my soul to come alive to God. Or when I read a really good book that just has an incredible, incredible storyline in it, that is so restful for me. Um, yes, we will get there. Uh, so these things help me enjoy God more. Sometimes, and I think I just want to help us not to over-spiritualize rest. I think there's a fine line between I don't want it to just be relaxation, but I don't think it just needs to be explicitly spiritual things. Sometimes taking a nap, even though you're literally unconscious for that whole time, can cause you to rest. <laughs> so this is what I'm trying to say. The kind of rest that God is inviting us into is not a mind-numbing, pain-escaping kind of rest. I don't think that's true rest. I think the rest God is calling us into is one that deeply delights in God and the world that he has made. Um, I have a quote from John Mark Comer where he's talking about this, and he says, anything can be worshipful that indexes your heart towards a grateful recognition of God's reality and goodness. Which, isn't that just a sweet concept to think about that God has literally commanded us <laughs> to spend an entire day doing the things that we love doing and enjoying them. I just think that's very exciting. So those are the two purposes that God gives us for commit for the Sabbath is to rest from our work and enjoy him. But the commandments are actually given a second time. So the first generation of Israelites, God rescues, they're not the first generation, but he rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt, but they disobey him and he causes them to wander in the wilderness. When the second generation is born, that generation gets to enter the promised land. And God actually gives them a review of the Ten Commandments because they weren't there when the Ten Commandments first came. So he gives them a reviewer course, and that's what Deuteronomy is all about. What's really interesting is that in the law, the reason for Sabbath actually changes the second time. So let's see if you can catch up. This is what God says. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male, and male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So the first time the command is rooted in creation, God tells them, this is how I created the world, therefore I want you to obey this pattern. 
But this time, God's reason is different. This time, God says, I rescued you out of Egypt. You were once a slave to Egypt, and God has brought you out. That's the reason why I want you to keep the Sabbath. And I think what God is getting at is that his people are called to live differently. They have been assimilated into Egyptian culture. They have been forced to live like the Egyptians did. But now God had called them out. He had given them freedom, but he wanted them to live differently than the world around them. So I think that the second thing, the second big thing that we see about Sabbath is that it is counter-cultural. So if you think of Egypt, uh, Egypt was built on excess. That's why they enslaved the Israelites. And God is calling his people to live differently. So think about how your life would change. Think about how our society would change if for an entire day, everyone just stopped and enjoyed what they already have. To not constantly be looking for more, but to embrace what God has given you. I think that there are culturally approved addictions that all of us have. Social media, Netflix, video games, online shopping, Starbucks runs, consumerism, Littles in Minnesota, Target runs. And I think that these things can be good, but I think that these are all ways we're trying to find rest. And I think that one of the things Sabbath does is that it helps us break those addictions. So for an entire day, God commanded his people to not do anything, and that included any buying or selling which would have been radical coming out of Egypt for an entire day to not do anything. Um, and I think that a, a mantra of Sabbath that I have really loved is thinking to myself, all I have is all I need. And I think that that is uh, another, so if rest and worship are the first goal of Sabbath, I think the second goal of Sabbath is to stand out from the rest of the world by being content with what you have and not believing the lie that the world, the flesh, and the devil are telling you that if you have more, then you will find rest. So um, there's a lot of theological debate over whether or not the commandment to observe the Sabbath is still kind of binding on believers. Pretty much I think everyone would say the commandment to not murder is still binding on believers, but there's debate on whether or not the command to Sabbath was moral, in which case it, it would still be binding on us, or if it's ceremonial, in which case it wouldn't be. And our staff team all kind of falls out on different places in terms of this conviction. So if you're curious, you can come ask us what we think. At bare minimum, whether or not you think that believers still are obligated to fulfill the commandment to Sabbath, at bare minimum, I think it's just really good for you. So if you're not convinced that it's a commandment, that's totally fine. But I just think, why wouldn't you do it? There's no commandment in the Bible that says you should read your Bible every morning when you're on project. But the reason why we do it while we're on project is because we really think it's good for you. And, and that's what I really want you to take from Sabbath is, actually I would really want you to develop your own conviction on whether or not you think it's a commandment, but at bare minimum, I hope you're starting to see and feel that Sabbath is just good for you. When you look out in our culture, I don't think our culture knows how to rest well. I think that the world, the flesh, and the devil have done a really good job of lying to us about how to find rest. And I think the church, in a lot of ways, is just as guilty as believing them as the secular culture around us. And I think that 
Sabbath is kind of this <laughs> rediscovered practice that will really help us um, break the lies that the world of the flesh and the devil are telling us. So my last point is, how do we Sabbath? What does this look like? Feels like kind of an archaic term. And we're gonna spend a lot of the time in our workshop. I'm gonna give you guys some uh, time and, and, and some questions to work through. And I have a list of best practices. I'm gonna get into those in just a little bit. I started out with kind of the story of like a typical day for me, but I wanna tell you a quick story of Alexis and my Sabbaths. So, we started practicing Sabbath last fall because a student that I was discipling had started practicing it. And I was extremely convicted because I was like, if a student who has homework can do Sabbath, like if she can take a whole day where she literally doesn't do homework, Alexis and I can do Sabbath, like <laughs> we have no excuse. Um, so we started listening to some sermons on it, we started talking more about it, and started practicing it. And I think Liz said this in her missional talk a couple weeks ago, which I think is so good. I can tell you the benefits, but you really won't know them until you do it for yourself. So I'm going to tell you about our Sabbath. This is not necessarily like the model for Sabbath, but I just want you guys to do it because I think when you try it, you will experience the benefit for yourself. So um, this has been our new narrative for our Sabbath day. So uh, as the sun starts to set on Friday evening, we stop. We stop washing dishes. We stop answering emails. We stop talking about work. We stop running errands. We turn off our phones and leave them in the kitchen. We turn off our lights. We sit down together at our dining room table and we light leftover candles from our wedding. Uh, in the faint candlelight, uh, Alexis reads Psalm 23, first in Spanish and then in English. We pray together, taking our time. We confess to God how we feel coming into Sabbath after the last week we have. We thank him for last week's Sabbath. We ask him to show up again this time. We ask him to draw us closer to each other and to him. Then when we finish praying, we spend the rest of our evening slowing our bodies and our souls down. We have dinner with good friends. We watch a movie that we've been wanting to watch. We do stretching yoga, we read good books that we haven't had time to read all week. We wake up the next morning when our bodies are ready, usually around 9.30 or 10. The light is streaming in the windows and we just enjoy it. We talk, we have the urge to check our phones several times throughout the day, but we don't most of the time. We sometimes do it better than others. Uh, if people text us, if people have questions, if people want to hang out, if there's something going on, we don't know about it. We make our favorite breakfast, and we make good coffee, the kind that takes a long time. We both spend a longer time praying and reading our Bibles. There's no time crunch, there's no meeting that we have to go off to. We can just sit in prayer and in the Word. We both try to connect with our emotions more. I usually pull out my journal at some point in the morning and start writing. Alexa sits in stillness and notices his feelings. A lot of the time, we both feel really sad, and we didn't realize it until we stopped and slowed down to actually pay attention. We bring those feelings to each other and the Lord. Eventually, we both kind of antsy, and so we uh, start our day. Um, throughout the day, one of us, usually me, will suddenly think of something that needs to get done. Uh, a grocery item we just ran out of, or just something to do. And 
Sometimes when I don't remember it's Sabbath, I'll bring it up and Alexis will gently remind me, that's not what today's for. We'll do it tomorrow. Or a lot of times, one of us will think of something that we want to do or something that we want to buy, and the other person will remind them, all that we have is all that we need. When we feel ready to move on from our morning, Alexis gets dressed to work out. He has no time crunch, no back-to-back meetings, so he gets to go and enjoy his workout for what it is. I usually go for a long hike or a long walk. We both love these activities and do them just because they make us feel more like ourselves. Uh, when we come back, usually a couple hours later, we'll make a very simple meal and then just talk to each other about how we're feeling, talk to each other about what we've been praying about throughout the day, what we saw in the Word that morning. And as the sun starts to set again, we sit at the dining room table where we started and we sit down again and we pray again. And once again, we spend a really long time in prayer together. And every single time, we end up thanking God for most of our prayers because He always, always shows up in Sabbath. And this is not cliche when I say, I truly am convinced that the Sabbath rest, rest is blessed because we both, I think, experience the presence of God and connection to each other in a way that we just don't on other days. So when Sabbath is over, we're ready to start our week and we truly feel more rested and more like ourselves. So I am very, very convinced that Sabbath is an incredible practice and it's one that I want all of us to start getting more into the habit of. So I have a list of best practices that things that have just worked really well for us that I think are general enough that they will work really well for you too. So the first practice, or the first best practice is to turn <laughs> off your phone. I truly can't tell you mentally how much of a difference it makes to turn off your phone and have it in the other room. <laughs> it's kind of scary. You will notice how addicted you are to your phone when your phone is turned off and you can't reach it. There are so many times throughout the day on Sabbath that I like physically feel the urge to check my phone. So I truly think one of the best practices that you can incorporate into your Sabbath is to turn off your phone and to leave it off. Don't even touch it for the whole time that you're practicing Sabbath. The second best practice is to ask yourself the question, what things are restful for me and what things do I love doing? And then do those things. I think that God has made all of us in really unique ways and he delights in his creation and wants you to delight in his creation. So do the things that you love doing. Um, and as you do them, pay attention to those things. Ask yourself, how is this making me become more alive to God? So like I mentioned, for me, this was meant going on hikes or long walks. And sometimes on those walks, I will spend the whole time praying. And that is a really sweet time. Other times on the walk, I will just walk. <laughs> and I think both those things can be equally as worshipful. Um, for Alexis, it's meant he gets to go to the gym and works out without needing to like have a time crunch or have a meeting afterwards because he just loves doing it. Uh, the third question that I want you to ask yourself is what connects me to God? What things make you feel God's presence more? Um, again, like I mentioned, for both of us, this means both of us need to spend some intentional time trying to understand and process our emotion. And again, like I mentioned, a lot of times we end up feeling sad in the Sabbath because when we finally slow down enough to realize how we feel, there's just a lot of hard things going on in the world, and it's easy to kind of brush past those things throughout the course of your week. But Sabbath is really a time for you to actually notice your feelings and take them to God. So that, I think, is the third best practice. 
fourth best practice is to use your Sabbath to spend a long time in the Word and in prayer. I love that we study the Bible every morning here on Project. I think it's so, 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 so good. Um, and some of you might think that this sounds really radical, but I think that 30 minutes in the Word is really only the tip of the iceberg for what God could do with your time in the Word. So I think a best practice of Sabbath is spending a very long time in the Word and prayer. Another best practice is sleep a lot. I think we're all physically exhausted. And so uh, a lot of the times on Sabbath, we don't set an alarm, or if we do, we set it pretty late. Um, because I do think that physical rest for our bodies is tied to rest for our souls. Um, I have eight best practices, so bear with me. The sixth best practice is practice gratitude. So for your Sabbath, commit to not buying anything and not even talking about buying anything. And you will be very amazed and humbled at how often the thought crosses your mind that I should buy this thing, I want this thing. So I think practicing gratitude is really, really helpful in breaking that addiction to consumerism that the devil has honestly got us to buy into. Seventh best practice, this is similar, but um, don't get stuff done. For those of you like me who love getting stuff done, this will be very, very hard for you. But a huge part of Sabbath is trusting that God will take care of you. You're not in control, he is. So one thing that we will do for Sabbath is we will actually sometimes on our on the best sabbath we'll prep food beforehand so that on our sabbath day we're not actually cooking um we'll sometimes use like paper plates and bowls that we don't have to do dishes on the sabbath or if we make dishes we just i try not to care about the fact that they're piling up in the sink um okay and then the eighth best practice is clearly begin and end your sabbath so like i said uh alexis and i what we do is we light candles we sit down together we read a psalm together and we pray together I don't think that that necessarily is how you need to start and end. But I think that there's something really powerful about intentionally saying, my Sabbath has now started and my Sabbath has now ended. So those are eight best practices. And we have learned these things as we have done it. So as you practice it, you're going to kind of learn your own best practices. Um, and I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. So that is it for the Sabbath talk. But now we're going to move into the workshop. And this, I think, is the really the cool part. So it's going to be a longer workshop, bear with me. Um, but I want you to work through these three categories. So if you remember, the three, I think, points of Sabbath, the three reasons for Sabbath are rest, worship, and to be counterculture. So I want you to answer the questions for yourself. What is restful for you? And for some of you, you may immediately know. And some of you might not, which is okay. I want you to start thinking through this question. And maybe another more specific question is, what do I love to do? For some of you, that could be playing basketball. For some of you, that could be going on. I think Zach loves going on walks on the beach. Um, yeah, no, I know he does. Um, so yeah, what are the things that you love doing? So just make a list. And those, these things don't yet need to be like spiritual. I just want you to start thinking through, what are the things that you love to do? Then the next set of questions, after you answer the first set, I want you to ask yourself, what are the things that help me to connect with God? That really help you to enjoy him and feel his presence. And then the third set of questions is, what are culturally approved addictions that you need to break? 
This could be consumerism, it could be social media, it could be video games, it could be productivity. Um, so just think through what are the addictions that you have, the culturally approved addictions that you need to break. So let's work through those things for about 10 minutes and then we'll come back together and then I'll give you Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.